0: Hey everybody and welcome to the show. This is the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm Nick Jaworski, the owner of Circle Social. We are a marketing agency that focuses within the addiction treatment space. And today I'm here with Jacob Lynch, who is with Stone Ridge Partners. Stone Ridge Partners focuses on mergers and acquisitions in the healthcare space. And specifically Jacob works in the behavioral end with addiction treatment centers. So, hey Jacob, how are you doing?
1: i'm fine how are you doing nick
0: hey doing well doing well appreciate you joining us today my pleasure so first uh mergers and acquisitions is not something that a lot of people are thinking about when they actually start a treatment center uh so can you explain a little bit about what that is and then why it would be important for uh, owners or directors to be thinking about them
1: uh sure yeah um i'm sure that they're not thinking about that when they start uh Start their mission, start their treatment center, which is um, understandable. I mean, it's a, uh, a labor of love and then giving back and doing something that matters to them. And so the exit or the succession strategy of, of it ending someday is never on their mind to start with. And I understand that. Yeah. Um, it probably should be, but that's common in all businesses as well. Everyone should think about it more than they do. And then when you, even the best laid plans, right, those eventually... Uh, go up and smoke usually because something happens anyway. So um, the reason, though, that it would need to be addressed or thought about is, you know, you're in the early innings or the beginning stages of consolidation in this industry. Mm. What I mean by that is you've got a couple very large players, um, competitors, public companies out there. Then you've got a dozen or so, um, you know, sponsor backed, uh, high growth, roughly a billion dollar um, value enterprise value companies out there, and then hundreds and thousands of of smaller what we would call mom and pop shops. Well, yeah. um, those are, are the are the things that you could tell those are eventually going to get consolidated, and the market is very fragmented because of that. Yeah. Um, what I would what I would say there, the reason that it's going to be important is because all those smaller ones are either going to to be acquired or they're going to be beaten by competition that is being acquired or doing the acquiring, right? I mean, yeah, the, the growth right. is going
0: to You know, and that's, I think, where I'd want to jump in and, and talk to a little bit about, you know, the people owning, you know, as you referred to them, kind of the mom and pops, the smaller local centers, and maybe they have a couple sober livings in the same area, that kind of thing, right? What we're seeing, yeah. you know, on our end, we have a lot of clients that reach out to us, say, hey, you know, our census is dropping. Uh, we can't get enough people in anymore and why is that happening because like you said there's all these providers all over the place now right and people are starting to be a lot more savvy about who they're choosing I think in the treatment space so they're looking for the bigger names they're looking for the people that have a um, you know a better presence in marketing as well and so it's hard to compete as a small little mom and pop especially if you're trying to do this whole PPO thing right if it's just dependent on PPO Um, don't have any in network, you know, it's causing real problems, I think, across the board, but you know, would you say that's accurate?
1: Very true. I mean, you spoke to exactly what I was thinking. So, I mean, these bigger ones that are out there already have kind of economies of scale. They've already reached that tipping point. They've got relationships with the the insurance companies, et cetera. So they're supplying all they can and doing it very efficiently. Um, but it's still a very undersupplied market. So people Mm -hmm. still need it. There's a, there's a need for it in the country, obviously, um, it's an honorable or noble job that you're doing. However, it's still undersupplied and there's not enough. And so if reimbursements get tighter or something you can't avoid happens or there's any bad uh, news story or stigma, you know, one wrong step or one bad thing can make it very, very difficult for you to stay in business as a yeah. smaller operator. So that's where, you know, until you get to that next level of growth, which is usually gonna take some capital or funding or efficiencies from somewhere else to make that step and to make that growth, You know, where you think things are stable and fun and I'm making a fine living putting food on the table and so forth that, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. And especially in a young industry like this one that is this fragmented. I mean, that's going to happen time.
0: Yeah. Um, And I'm sure you're seeing it. But I mean, we're seeing it all over the place where centers are closing down or centers that used to be full, you know, are now at like 20 percent census. Right. So it's happened across the board where there is this huge drop in being able to reach people, if you don't have a strong and firm, you know, base in terms of referrals and alumni and community presence, you can't be dependent on just this internet marketing, right, to run a center these days.
1: Very true. Um, we're seeing that all over the place. Uh, it is one or the other. You know, it is either going out of business and in, in bad shape, or it is being acquired. And there's nothing wrong with uh, the being acquired part. The going out of business is unfortunate. But like yeah. I said, it could be one misstep or unfortunate occurrence or um, it could just be standing still and not trying to grow, which is why I think a lot of these smaller shops need to be looking at the value of their business. Um, think of it that way and long-term and what it's worth, how to grow that, and then how to be attractive for a buyer or come up with the capital to purchase competitors or complementary businesses that will help them grow and, and be better long-term. Um, sure. But I'm definitely seeing the same thing you're seeing there and it is unfortunate, but it's difficult. Um, and it's a lot due to, you know, it's still a very Inefficient healthcare system, insurance, wow, and cellular controls, right. in network versus of network thing is, is a big issue. Um, the reimbursements are getting smaller and harder to get. Uh, one of the, you know, you mentioned something about the advertising and the online, online leads. And then the other thing is uh, the utilization review department of these companies are the two things that I see buyers look for and that are important. So okay. um, the advertising piece, I think it's very important to most buyers that the majority First of all, there's not a very concentrated referral source, right? That all the marketing isn't coming from one place and all the yeah. new patients from one
0: place. Right, but yeah, God, we, we emphasize that so hard and <laughs> not everyone's listening, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and then two, that it's not from something that is all paid, right? That there's some that are yeah. coming to you just from obviously good outcomes, results, and that people know you and trust you and like you. So if yep. it's all paying for somebody to put bodies in beds, that's not going to look as good to a buyer as a mixture of different ways and many of them that are not paid for or not overly paid for, right? Everybody that I see for, as far as the buyers go, they're usually looking for the cost of you to acquire a patient to be less than three times your daily rate, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're 200 bucks, then they don't want it to cost more than 600 bucks for you to get that patient, you know?
0: Right. You know, and that's what we say all the time is like, you know, at max 30% of your admissions and intake should be coming from, you know, digital campaigns or outbound marketing where 70% should be those referral relationships with professionals, alumni, the community, I mean, that shows a stable, healthy practice, right? And the the cost is so much cheaper <laughs> to do that, you know. I, I think that's why when you're looking at your marketing mix, it's how do we do all of these different pieces to have a really successful center, not just depend on rehabs.com or AdWords or Facebook, you know.
1: And there's a scale-up to get there, right? Because, I mean, at first you have to take any customer you can so that you yep. can show that you do do good work and have good care, and then you can get those referrals, but it needs to tail off as quickly as it can to a situation where people are coming because they want to and they've heard of you, not because you're paying to get them in the door, you know?
0: Exactly. Um, so what I kind of want to, wanna, or sorry, cut you off there a little bit, but maybe we can step it back a little bit. What you were talking about in kind of preparing the center to possibly be, be acquired or to possibly gain investment, Uh, Something I think you said that it's all about having partly these operational efficiencies and a a good mix of people coming and admits coming from different places. But so even if you aren't necessarily looking to be acquired, if you work with that mindset in place, you know, what would look, sorry, what would look attractive to someone that was buying us, it means you're going to have a good center, right? Uh, You're actually going to have a good business foundation to what you're doing. So can you talk to a little bit about what centers are looking for in their acquisitions and then how that actually connects or translates to running a really good center?
1: Sure. So, um, and so this is written in an article that I'm going to put out that I had just written on some of these topics, but, uh, there's many different metrics that I'll go over with clients. So when they're looking to sell, I am kind of giving them a a form that's a data request of all the things that I'd like to know about their business because these are the things that buyers want to know. Um, and because they want to know those, obviously sure, that's the value of your business, but that's also because they realize that's what makes a highly valued, well-run efficient business in this space. Right. Mm. Um, so obviously size matters. Um, but whether you have got a strategic buyer, meaning it's your competition or somebody that compliments you well, or whether it's a financial buyer being like a private equity firm or something like that, a family office that just wants to get into the space, um, those are two different things and they're going to look for different things. Either way, as far as size goes and financials go, they're going to want to see good margins, right? So not too good of margins where we think something fishy is going on, but say 10 to 30% would be average um, of your EBITDA? Yep. Do um, you, you want to say what that is real quick like,
0: for anyone that doesn't know.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry?
0: For your EBITDA, do you want to explain that real quick? Because I know I'm sure there's some listeners that aren't quite sure what that is.
1: Sure, it's your earnings before um, interest, tax, depreciation, amortization. So all all, all you're saying is it's your net profit, basically. Um, And then we usually do an adjusted EBITDA, meaning we're going to add back in those one-time expenses and things that uh, a new buyer wouldn't have to incur, say the car that you pay for through the business or something like that. Um, So all those are added back in, and that is your metric, your your value, your basis that is going to be multiplied on to see what the value of your business is. So people are going to want to see margins there, meaning that the business is profitable. Um, Most these days, geography matters somewhat. Uh, a lot of them want to see a full continuum of care. If they're looking for a platform to start a business with or to get into a big play, um, they're going to want to see multiple sites and a full continuum of care. Um, the insurance issue, out of network is usually going to be discounted right now. There are some that will still pay for it and want it. But for the most part, I think we all see that transitioning in network over time. Yeah. Um, I've got a good piece on how you can figure out whether or not that makes sense for you to do and how to negotiate the rates and then whether or not, You know, that that particular insurer makes sense to go and network with. Obviously, to me, it matters a lot about how much of a ratio um, they have of the covered lives in their area or in your area that you serve as a a treatment center. Um, The utilization review department is very important to me as well. So like you were mentioning earlier about the insurance, how good of a case does your company make to the insurance company to say, this is why this patient needs X, Y, and Z, and this is for how long they need them. And then how often do you receive what you ask for? Uh, what's that average length of stay? What does that census look like? Um, and so the better you can get those numbers and the better you track them, the more organized and valuable your business is going to be um, and the easier it is going to be to explain to someone why this is or why that is. And as long as you have good reasoning for it, it makes sense and they can make their own decision on whether or not they can implement that into their own business as they buy it.
0: Well, something that we talked about earlier that I talk about all the time is outcomes, right? There's a big shift in the field to focus on outcomes. Or I went, even say if there's a big shift, there's a lot of pressure for the field to focus on outcomes, (laughs) which I think is great, right? But we're seeing that from insurance providers, right? They want better outcomes. They want data. They want tracking around it. But you also mentioned that buyers are looking for that as well.
1: Of course. So, I mean, we talked about that in person, and I've written that in that article. As of right now, this is still a fee-for-service business, correct? Like the insurance or whoever it is is going to pay you for what you've done, regardless. Now, there aren't many industries in the world that are that way. Okay. Most things that are services you're going to get paid based on how well you've done. Right. Right. And if you're not, well, if it's not done very well, then either people are going to stop coming or stop paying and you're going to have a hard time. Yep. Right now it's not that way, but we know, at least I think I believe that over time things are going to transition that way. So I would be tracking if I were this department or this, this certain treatment center or the department inside of this one, I would be tracking what those outcomes are, what are the results, how can we engage with our alumni, get them more involved. And that's a good referral source, um, as well as it helps kind of change the stigma around addiction um, Mm -hmm. as a disease, as a choice. Um, I would be very interested and very, uh, very particular about those things and making sure that I know how good of a job we're doing results based wise, because I think things are eventually going to transition that way. And even if they're not, even if you're still going to get paid fee for service, I would think you still want to know, hey, what we're doing works and here's proof of it.
0: Yep, exactly. I mean, that's why I always tell clients, you know, on our end, it's really beneficial. I mean, it's hugely beneficial. If we can market outcome based data like that's where a lot of stuff is transitioning right now. But at the same time, you know, don't you want to know what you're doing that works and doesn't? And don't you want to improve it so that you can provide better patient care? I mean, I think that's all our goal, right? So it is just the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, it's going to help them sleep better. And it's them delivering on their mission. I mean, unless right. it's one of the few bad actors in the industry that are in there just to make a dollar and don't really care about anybody, the majority of them all have noble cause of what they're doing here. Yep. There's an epidemic in this country, and they're working day and night to fix it. And it's... Um, probably an underappreciated and fantastic and noble profession. Um, But they can, you know, I think sometimes they get a bad taste in their mouth or it's a bad word to think about mergers and acquisitions or being bought or sold or any of that sort of stuff in that industry. And it's really not in the sense that it's going to happen regardless. So get on board and be in the best position for yourself with it. You can continue your mission and still doing what you do. Even if someone purchases you or you purchase someone else, you can still deliver the same mission that you're on. Um, you could just use a little wiser and better financial tactics to get there, you know?
0: Right, and that's a good point and something that maybe people might not be understanding if they're listening, that when you get bought, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're no longer involved in your center. You can still stay on as a director, right?
1: Sure. You know how, like a minute ago, I mentioned the difference in the strategic buyer or the financial buyer. Think about, like, a lot of those financial buyers say... So let me tell you that about Stone Ridge, okay? So we have, the majority of all of my partners are all... Uh, former healthcare executives that have now made this change into M&A, but they understand the industry, right? Yep. Well, the majority of your PE firm or your investment bank or whoever, your, your family office out there, they don't, you know, they're running money. They don't necessarily know the healthcare sector. They just know that there's a good opportunity in here. It's a good business model. There's long term cash flow. Like there's, there's good opportunity here. So let's get involved in there. So they're going to look for a good opportunity based on the numbers to buy and to own that thing, but they don't want to operate it. They're not, they're not healthcare operators. They right. don't understand the day-to-day function. So they're still going to want somebody to run that thing. And if they're looking at an operation and you're available to be bought and it's the right price and the right number, you can, you know, make a great payday and still have a job, right? Still yeah. be working. You're going to work for somebody else. Maybe you don't get to make all the decisions, but if you find the right buyer where the the culture is good and the, the values and the mission um, relate, where you guys can get along and understand each other, and it makes sense, then they're probably gonna leave you to still run your business the way you were running it if it was already very valuable. Yeah. They just want to so that of those profits or that money over time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Great.
1: It um, allows you to have things though to not worry about those one bad things that happen or not getting reimbursed or being able to go acquire other places, et cetera, so that you can grow, right? Some of those things that were headaches before now become a little easier with some capital behind you.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, Speaking of the capital, I want to go back real quick to you were talking about the margins, right? 10 to 30 percent is pretty solid. And you were also mentioning that, you know, you want to stay clear of higher margins or shadier practices. So, I mean, we all know that there is some crazy stuff that happens in the field by, you know, a small number of bad actors. Uh, everything from like charging a thousand or more per urine screen three times a week, right? Uh, So can you speak to a couple uh, red flags of things that people looking to buy uh, are looking for and things that you definitely wanna be avoiding?
1: Sure, I mean, um, you've mentioned one there. So some of those metrics or those things that I give and ranges for clients, the reason I don't wanna see things too high is that that'll usually put up a red flag and, and make people a little suspicious about what's going on here. And lots of times it is those bad actors, right? So it's some people that have um, chased after the dollar and maybe the mission isn't there as much, so they're more concerned with how much they can make as quickly as they can, whether or not it's ethical or moral. Um, so usually if a buyer is seeing like they're doing their own lab testing, um, they'd rather have that sold off first or make it a cost center the same as the medical billing part of it. Um, something nothing necessarily wrong with that, just there's probably other people to let do that more efficiently and not be a headache for you um you know if there's a lot of amas ASAs, so meaning that people are leaving um obviously there's something there if the culture of the business is looking weird as in there's a bunch of turnover with employees and you go in there and everyone's kind of uh it just doesn't feel warm it doesn't feel like everyone's on the same team and loving one another That's obviously usually a red flag um the outcomes we talked about earlier right if you don't have any of those so not everybody needs them not every buyer needs them but i'm just saying if you don't have any tracking of them or any idea and you really can't tell even what you're Relapse recidivism rates are, then um, people are going to be a little curious about that every once in a while. Um, All out of network, that can sometimes raise a red flag. (coughs) Excuse
0: me. Um, Any sort of fraud. You know, we talk a lot about, uh, oh, well, yeah, I mean, PR, right? I mean, obviously, (laughs) you know, if a center's caught doing something that they shouldn't be doing, that's going to drop your value immediately, right? Of course. And keep in
1: mind, you know, the reason I was talking about the m as earlier, that, that it needs to be done and you shouldn't be afraid of it, is because some of those things are out of your hands, right? Yeah. Like I had, uh, there's a client I'm working with on one coast, had a patient admitted from another coast. When the patient got there, you know, they tested, they were fine, everything coming into the center, everything's good. Second or third night they're there or something, gets a sleeping pill from another patient um, and apparently dies that night. Yeah. And so that patient the the one that gave him the sleeping pill this girl is then obviously facing charges and the whole center was closed for a good i think 6 months or or 12 months about it um, so and that's nothing to do with the owner of that facility right like yeah. he he did everything he was supposed to do and now he's got a bad you know, cloud over his business, right? So his, right. the value of his business all of a sudden, goes from what it was to probably a third of that because of something that he couldn't control.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we always talk to them when we're talking about review management and reputation management, right? You're always going to get bad reviews. If you haven't, you're amazingly lucky. They're going to come, <laughs> you know. Right. So yeah. that's a smaller end, but, you know, we are dealing with a population that, you know, has a lot of issues on the mental health end, on the addiction end, right? And so, Unfortunately, you know, it's more common in our space that we're probably going to have to deal with something like this at some point. So, yeah, I think that's important to, for people to keep in mind, you know, that it does happen to, to the best of us as well, just because we are dealing with the populations that are really struggling.
1: Most definitely.
0: Um, any other red flags around the clinical excellence? I mean, that's a big thing on our end. We're always promoting clinical excellence for our centers, but sometimes you'll see centers that just have a lot of, you know, people that maybe got their (laughs) substance abuse counseling certificate last year. And then that's now they're running groups, you know?
1: (laughs) So obviously that's something that a buyer is looking for. All right. The more, um, established and well-organized and good history of those clinical people in there, the better, um, I don't like to speak to it too much or my thoughts on the clinical aspect of the business. Cause I'm no doctor, right? Sure, like I got, right. I speak, you which know, is well, the, the, the business side of it and the financials and so forth. So, um, I can tell you, yeah, what, what a buyer would be looking for as far as the clinical stuff goes, but it is just that having somebody that's, that's experienced and knows what they're doing in there. I don't want to speak to like any of my opinions on it because that's not my expertise.
0: Sure. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Well, let's get into some of the nitty gritty about it. So let's say that I am in a position where I would like to sell or I need some capital. And so I'm looking for a buyer. Um, how long would this process generally take from start to finish?
1: So, uh, that's going to vary quite a bit. Um, from case to case, it, it, it varies and, and depends on a number of different factors. But in general, I'm usually going to tell people six to 12 months, all depending on, one, how organized they are and how ready they are. And then, two, how, um, you know, how how gung-ho that buyer is, like how quickly they need something to happen. And that's a good thing of this industry right now. I think if you own a center is that there is so much money on the sidelines, meaning in these uh, cash of the big players, and then the private equity firms, the family offices, other people that want to buy and want to be in here—they're waiting to deploy the cash. They need to deploy the cash so that they have an investment going. Yeah, uh, they're just looking for the right opportunity. So, and that makes those valuations very large. You know, I see things from, you know, down at two times or three times if they're in a bad area and running not a great business, and so forth, all the way up to twelve times if it's perfect and just what somebody needs and wants. Right. Sure. Um, but so if they are ready to go and, they, and the buyer is, is wanting it, you know, chomping at the bit to get this thing, um, it can go pretty quickly. I usually ask them, ask the seller for a large amount of information um, up front. And when they get that to me, it can usually be about four or five months from that point that we can close, depending on the size of the thing, right? If we're talking about, you know, a, a million dollars in revenue, five million dollars in revenue, that's different than 50 or 100, right? Those, those two businesses don't sell in the same time frame.
0: Sure. Right. Okay, and can you talk a little bit about what exactly would be um, things that they should be preparing? You know, so what do they want to have in order when they start kind of talking sure. to acquirers?
1: Sure. So when they're talking to me um, to say we want to go to market, see what this is worth, um, see if we find the right buyer, etc., the process is sort of uh, I'm gonna get them to sign a representation agreement with me. Um, ours is a little bit different from the other others in the industry and so forth. And, uh, as cancelable at any time, the tail is not long, but we're just trying to say that if we're going to put forth our effort here, we want to be compensated. If we can find you the right buyer that you say yes to, it's not up to us or anything else. You're under no obligation. You can do what you want, but once they sign that, get that to me, I'm going to give them a data request, uh, just meaning that I'm, I'm looking for some information on the business. Some of the things that we've talked about here and some other things, a little more in detail, as far as that census goes, the advertising, the referrals, um, that utilization review department, what are they getting paid for? What are these rates, et cetera? Um, the scope of the business, the financials obviously are most important. Um, so that we have a good idea of what it looks like currently and what it could look like. Um, and then some strengths, uh, opportunities, et cetera, for the business so that I can try to find some synergies with the right buyer. And that's usually going to get them a higher price. Okay. Uh, that's kind of the process of the things that I'm looking for when they get that back to me, Uh, We usually build a large um, book or a business profile, we'll call it. Um, It's kind of an executive summary for anybody that's interested to look at. I wanna check it with the seller and make sure that they agree with everything and that it's all accurate. Then we are going to take it out to market either to contacts and targeted people that we already know that we've worked with and we know they're gonna be interested in this specific business or um, in a blast to a lot of different contacts that we have in the industry and to see who. Who responds back with some interest then we go through the process of getting them a non-disclosure agreement confidentiality agreement so that they won't speak about it to anyone else and uh and we let them see a little bit more into the business what it is and then they are able to make an offer visit the site talk to the owner etc all those sort of things um once they've signed that nda because we want to make sure obviously that while you're selling your business you're able to continue to run it smoothly as normal um without disrupting anything without your c- competition knowing that you're looking at it without your employees knowing etc so we want to make sure that everything's confidential sure. um, and you're able to continue keeping all those numbers up and where they should be what you don't want to do is you know say let's do this give me all the information and then quit working because you know it's going to be sold and then watch the thing go down in value huh. within those six months right, right? right.
0: And so we try to probably we you know clauses yeah. built in for that <laughs> you know and i assume on the buyer end <laughs>
1: There can be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're obviously going to want to make sure that what they're buying is what was presented to them. And then it's also on them to do their own due diligence. Correct. I mean, yeah. if I give you our numbers and they've been audited by a third party, that's pretty you know, safe that you can go on. But again, that is all up to you when you're buying. That's the, the research and the investigation that you need to do into the asset that you're going to purchase, of course.
0: Right. You know, and obviously you know talking to a lot of this you clearly have a lot of expertise your firm has a lot of expertise in this so i mean to me it's like okay i understand why i would work with you guys um but sometimes you'll obviously get people to say oh, you know why can't i just try and sell it myself right um you know what would sure. be the response there or what's the real value of working with Stoneridge partners
1: well um if they wanted to do that i'm, I'm not here to uh keep them from doing it. I'm just telling them if they do, and I've heard people do it before, I'm just gonna guess that you're usually not going to get the best price for negotiation that you could. And what I mean there is that if we have a lot of experience in the space, a lot of context, a lot of uh, expertise and time that we've been dealing with these people, there's a very good chance that we're gonna create a market, hopefully a bidding war, but either way, a market for your business to be sold in, Uh, then you've got a very good idea of what it really is worth and what it could bring at this certain time in this certain context. Um and that way you're gonna know that you're getting the best price at that time. We're also able to help you then facilitate that whole process and so that you can continue to run business as usual, we're able to, you know, field the calls, do the negotiation, come over the terms for you, et cetera, all these sort of things, talk with talk through them with you and then take them to market in an organized way that's gonna make it hopefully a much better deal and a much better sale for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, you've got the contacts with buyers and sellers out there. So, you know, you will provide those links, I think, a lot better. Um, it is it's, it's interesting uh, for me, you know, on our end, because we I mean, we work with clients across the country as well as the UK. Um, and I'd say that most people are not really aware of these opportunities that are out there and they're not They're. I think when you're in the center, right? You live it. It's your life. And so it's often hard to yep. see outside of it, <laughs> to see the broader sure. industry trends.
1: And, and in my last business and in many others that I've consulted about that, I always um, suggest taking some time, whether it's per month, per quarter, per year to work on the business, not in the business. Right. Yeah. Like at some point you have to step back from the day to day minutiae and say, OK, what what am I doing to make this the best place it can be, the best value, the best culture for my employees, the best everything, right? So you need to make those business plans for the next month or year. What things do I need to do? How do I transition from out to in? How do we bring on another service line or another um, scope of business? Uh, How do we add in, say, IOP or detox, whichever end you don't have or something, if that's the case? How do we build the value of this thing over time term, right? And that needs to happen because, one, like I was saying, either – Need to be in a position to have that big payday and be purchased, or you're going to need to build the cash up so that you can start to consolidate and build some of these, you know, buy some of these other competitors out, or the ones that are compliments to you that won't, that have what you need.
0: So I think that's an important question. You know, you said before that this is kind of a general trend in the industry towards consolidation, and that they should be kind of prepared to be part of it no matter what. But what would you know be some more specific sa- uh, signs? So if I'm sitting here as an owner or a director and looking at my center. You know, what would be a sign for me that, hey, we actually should be more actively engaging in this M&A process now?
1: Well, so right now, your top 10 players in this industry are less than 25 percent of the of the business. Mm -hmm. Um, If it was a mature market, they would be over 50 percent. Okay. there's some other signs there as well. But what I mean is, while it's early like this, this is your opportunity to either get on board and start growing and be out in front so that you can make it once it does age, once this market gets to where it probably will in, my guess is five, 10 years. I don't know any of this for sure, which by the way, tangent here, that's, that's where I would speak to people usually ask me, is it the right time to Mm -hmm. sell? Well, I can tell you that right now, last year, this year, next year, some of the highest valuations there's ever been. So I I can tell you what, that it is a good time right now. I can't tell you that it's not be a better time, say five years or 10 years. I don't know. I don't have the crystal ball. I'm just telling you that right now, yes, it is a good time. For those reasons that I've mentioned, such as all the cash on the sideline, people want to be in the business, et cetera. Now, back to what I was saying there is just that, you know, your question is, how do I know or or, or what do I need to do to get that going? I mean, yeah, I mean, what kind of
0: what am I looking at in my center where it's like, oh, you know what? Actually, we probably should be looking at investment or we should be looking for buyers um, because, you know, this is how our center is looking right now.
1: Right. So if they're, if they're looking to be acquired, if they're looking for buyers, I can give you, and I've gone through some of those, but all the metrics that they would need to do in order to build that business up and make it more attractive, as far as looking for them, they know that they need to be bought or need to get capital if they are kind of stagnant, right? If they've plateaued. Like I've gotten to X point income's good, cash flow's good, all that, but I can't really get over this hump. That it's not growing. I'm just staying plateaued here for a while. Well, if that's the case, you probably need to look into acquiring someone, right? And maybe someone needs to acquire you in order to get you that capital or to invest in you, to have a financial backer so that you can go do that, either buy the other level of care that you don't have or buy a different geography that you have a some sort of competitive advantage in that you don't know about or you don't currently operate in, um, all those sort of things. So and on the other end... If-
0: Let's pause there real quick. So let's say that I'm the owner of a, you know, a fairly small 30-bed center, right? And we do IOP. Um, that's really the main focus of what we're doing here, you know, some PHP residential. So in that aspect, I'm doing well. My center is good. You know, our census is usually 80%, so we've got a good run rate going. Um, you know, what, what would you say to someone like that who's saying, like, you know, I don't feel that there's a need to engage in, in this kind of process?
1: Well, I understand. So I, f- I feel, you know, if you've got good cash flow and you're feeling good and the food's on the table and you're all fine with that, that is fine. Just realize that, you know, you need to do your other financial life, not just the business, but your personal financial life, very well, so that you can retire like that. Because it's not gonna. If <laughs> I'm just trying to say the nice way to say this, just like I was saying earlier, if you're not growing, you're dying, kind of in this industry as it's young and it's growing, you need to be on board and on that train, or you're going to get passed up. So hmm. what I mean is. If all that's good, you know, hopefully someday somebody's going to come in and want your exact geography, your exact business, your exact service line and need ILP really badly. Okay. And then they're going to offer you something for that. But chances are they can probably get that at a number of different places. You know, you're probably one in a bucket. There's, there's probably quite a few opportunities for the same thing. Mm -hmm. So until you're very, very attractive, they're probably not just going to come in and give you a payday and that's the end of your work life. So I would start to look at how can I grow this? If I'm staying stagnant, if i plateaued, how can I look for either another service line, how can I add PHP, how can I get a different geography, how can I add something that's in-network, if I'm out-of-network, how can I add this extra line to this business that's going to make it more attractive and make me have different sources of revenue?
0: Sure. Okay. Sure. I, I, just, I
1: can build and not plateau.
0: Okay. You know, you just got jogged, um, my thinking on something, but you know, when we look at like centers closing, it's often Florida, California, Arizona, right. Where there's this huge concentration of tons of centers all over the place that were really dependent on bringing in patients from across the U S and what we're seeing as a trend is a lot more centers bringing up in the Midwest, in the Northeast, you know, in all these underserved areas. So people are preferring to go more local than they are to fly out to the coast now, um, can you speak to that at all? Is that a trend that you're seeing, or is that something that buyers are looking at? You know, is there too many centers in Delray? Is there too many centers in Palm Beach? Or you know, Orange County? You know, do buyers um, shy away from that For at all?
1: For sure. So certain geographies are definitely going to be discounted, and it's not even because the center the center may do everything perfect, but because there's a stigma there, or because there's been bad news coverage there, and people being bad actors and doing the wrong things. It discounts everyone in that area Hmm. are there too many there i don't know i can't really speak to that if the demand is there then there's not too many right the supply should just match the demand and i'm not to speak of whether or not there's too many or too few there's just too many that are doing it uh unethically so to answer your question there is definitely a different um either discount or premium paid or looked for uh depending upon geography. Hmm. So there's plenty of people that wanna be in a certain state or a certain area or a certain part of the country and not in other ones. Um, you know, it often happens to me that somebody will call and say, hey, I've got a two centers in X state, say whatever, Nebraska, and I want to look at one in Texas and uh, I'll find them one in Texas. And we don't often do that on the buy side, but if someone I know them and they're interested in it enough, I will look for them, find something in Texas and say, here's something you're probably gonna have to pay this amount, you know, you might have to pay six times for this and they're going to say, wow, six times, I didn't realize that. And then they're going to say, what's mine worth? And I'm going to say, well, yours are in Nebraska and you're probably going to get seven or eight times if I take you to this buyer. And they're saying, well, now I'm a seller. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Oh, that's like, interesting. So the geography definitely changes the demand quite a bit from a lot of different buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah be it financial or strategic but more often strategic because they that is one of their strategies they want to be in a certain place financial buyers more they want to be in the business regardless of geography unless they do have some other uh, operation in that area or that it's a complement to that they're that they're okay. making their business efficient.
0: All right. And then one other thing I wanted to ask that we were kind of going back and forth on the emails with is you were talking about, you know, maybe expanding service lines. So maybe expanding care to gambling, sex addiction, eating disorders, this kind of thing, which I found interesting because we actually all most recommend the opposite to a lot of clients. We say specialize because a lot of the clients will come to us. I'll say, hey, you know, what kind of populations are you guys specifically serving? And they'll, well, we serve everyone. You know, we serve addiction treatment for sex, for gambling, for every drug known a man, for every age group you know whereas what i'm seeing that's really working for a lot of centers is going really specific and getting deep you know maybe you do police and firefighters maybe it's the lgbt community maybe it is just focused on you know failure to launch millennials um but we've seen on the marketing end that if we promote it to a specific treatment community we actually have a lot more success but it sounded like you were maybe recommending the opposite could you speak to that a bit
1: Not necessarily recommending it, but yes. So I would agree with you. And in, you know, 95% of the businesses and industries that I've worked in, um, niching is always going to be the better strategy, usually, right? Uh, The more deep I can go on one topic, it's usually going to make me very profitable and life a lot easier and simpler than being able to go barely deep on a broad subject. Yeah, right. In this case, again, it's kind of going to go back to who would be the acquirer, who's looking to buy you, whether you wanted to be a serve all or serve just this little piece. Um, niching inside of what your specialty is is a great thing, and I'd suggest it. What I meant about service lines, if you're already going towards that, then make sure that you're able to do it, and that there's probably a good mixture of all things. Lots of times, 90% of someone's income in this, or their revenue in this business will come from the treatment center of... Drugs or alcohol, and yep. then they'll have 10% that is sex addiction or um, gambling addiction, et cetera, eating disorders, all that sort of stuff. And so that's not really in those cases. I would tell them, yes, probably get rid of those and just go niche and what's actually bringing you the money. You know, the 80 20 rule and spend 80% of your time on this 20% of the clients right. that's bringing in all your money. Yep. Uh, but are those other areas attractive yes to buyers again it's going to matter whether the buyer already has those things or wants those things or whether they're not and they don't have any interest okay so again the buyer matters but in general if you can get a good mixture of them it's always better to have more avenues of revenue coming in correct like if i can get some amount of dollars from drug and alcohol that's fantastic but if there's also a need that i can meet with the clinical people that i have and their expertise on all these other topics whether that is eating disorders or Sex addiction, gambling, etc. That's very attractive, right? I mean, that's some more streams of revenue, more areas, bigger markets that you can tap now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what we've always looked at, or at least recommended to clients, is if you can expand it into specific units, right? Like if you're going to create another center that specializes in eating disorders, and then have your original center specializing in, you know, drug and substance abuse, like that, I, I think is a yeah. lot more preferable because then you're you're concentrating you know a very specific area it's a little bit different branding so people know you you become you know you have a reputation within those communities um i guess that's just kind of how we've seen it and so it sounds like you're saying something similar
1: yeah i would agree with you and then something you just mentioned there the branding so i um you know i'd always suggest to these people You've got to have a reason for doing what they do, right? So the, just be clear with your mission and stick to it, and then be able to explain to someone, uh, a buyer or whoever it is, the reason we do things this way is because of this. Here's our justification or our rationale behind we do things this way. Even if it's not something that that buyer agrees with, that's fine as long as you can make sense of why you're doing it, right?
0: Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. And make sure I always just throw that in there, but make sure your clinical team knows what's going on as well. Right. <laughs> I've, I've seen I mean, situations yeah. where it's like, oh, I didn't know that we were saying that we're treating eating disorders. And suddenly right. you're saying that we have a patient for that. You know, so um, I, I think Amen. we obviously have to be respectful to the patients, making sure that we are bringing in people that were you know, specialized in or excelling in helping. Um, yeah. But also just I think that's part health. of that. It's,
1: that's part of the culture part I was talking about, making sure there's good communication between the different aspects of the business, obviously. Yeah, Make sure right. that we're all on the same page, achieving the same mission.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's huge, right? I mean, when everyone's in alignment, it's funny because when a lot of clients reach out to us, they're like, well, what can you do? How, how can you help us You know, bring in admissions? And there's a lot that goes on with that question, right? I mean, really, we need to be checking out your centers, seeing what you guys do, see who your current patients are, alumni are, clinical staff are, right? Like it's not like a little switch that you just turn on and then suddenly, like, oh, <laughs> admissions just start coming in, right? That's not how it works, <laughs> right? You, <laughs> you know, are exactly correct. Right. That headache, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always, always just, uh, it makes me chuckle a little bit, you know, when we get those questions. And I mean, interestingly enough, you know, we do some stuff where it's just, you know, kind of driving phone calls, but like you said, you, you pay so much for that, right? You're gonna pay three thousand, four thousand in admin, yeah. that's not sustainable, it's not, you know, give you a mix, good mix for your business. Whereas if you're doing things right, Really connecting with communities, building up specific reputations within those communities, then you're able to get, you know, those clients and those patients in at a reasonable rate, you know, that like you're saying, you know, two to three times what they're, you know, being paid for from the insurance end. Um, So, yeah, yeah, always very interesting. Well, OK, uh, you know, I think we're we really covered a lot today. I know it's a lot for people to take in. Uh, you mentioned that you might be willing <laughs> to come back on at some point, And so I think we might take you up on yeah. that just because there's I'm sure we're going to have a lot of questions from listeners <laughs> on getting a little bit yeah. deeper. So is there any kind of parting comments that you'd like to make or suggestions uh, for anyone out there listening?
1: Um specific i can think of so i'd be happy to come back and talk about more specific topics about how the business gets valued or, or or what it could go for or what the steps are to get it there or any of those sort of things that anyone's interested in i'm happy to answer um but in general the only things that i would have to say here are that you know the consolidation of the fragmented industry the mergers and acquisitions are going to happen and they are happening and it's a good time and it's a good thing for the consumer um so I would suggest that you take some time to work on the business and be on board with that. You know, see what your business is worth. Um, contact someone and see what opportunities there might be out there for you. That's about the only thing that I would have to have to say.
0: Perfect. Well, again, this was Jacob Lynch with Stone Ridge Partners, and I'm Nick Jaworski with Circle Social Inc. Uh, this is the Recovery Executive Podcast, and next podcast we'll be having Joanna Conti on, and she will be talking about outcomes and how we can build outcomes. She actually owns a company that has tracking tools and apps and integrations for centers to show them how to track various aspects that she'll talk about a lot better than I can. (laughs) So we invite you back, you know, for that one and please go to SoundCloud recovery executive podcast. You can download the podcasts there. You can listen to them streaming, whatever works for you. Uh, So we'll wrap up right there. Jacob, thanks so much for coming on and I hope everyone else has a great day.